In our spiritual battle, we fight every day. And we understand that if we want to live the life of a Christian following after the teachings of Christ Jesus. Ephesians 6.12 gives us the words of Paul to the Christians at Ephesus. He said, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So we understand where our battleground is. We're not fighting lost folks out there in the world. No, in fact, we're to build a relationship with them. We're, we're to bring them in to the body of Christ. We're to love them. We're to accept them. You can't love and accept somebody whose life is not what it should be because if you become their friend, they open up to you, you will be able to bring them very quietly and very peacefully to Christ Jesus. Last week we looked at the devil. We as Christians must realize that the devil may affect circumstances around us. The devil may tempt us, but he can't make us do a thing. We choose to go our own way. We choose to say no. All of us do this thing periodically on January the 1st or sometime before that. We make New Year's resolutions. And as much as I hate to burst your bubble, you decide to stop those resolutions, as I do. We have a lot of desire to, to meet a goal or to go after something that we've desired for a long time. And at some point, we give up and we go back. It's part of our sinful nature. It's a part of what the flesh does to us. There's a war going on, but it's within us. And we have to learn to trust Christ 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. With reflection on today, I want to remind you that 245 years ago, this nation was in the throes of being born. The Second Continental Congress had issued a Declaration of Independence that was so significant and so important at that time. Under the leadership of General George Washington, the Continental Army and Navy defeated the British military, securing the independence of the 13 colonies by 1789. And the Articles of Confederation of 1777 were replaced with the Constitution of the United States. With its amendments, it remains the fundamental governing body of the United States. But I want to share with you another story. In the days that the Continental Congress were meeting, General Jonathan Dayton, who was the youngest signer of that document, was a member of the Congress and one of the first speakers of the House of Representatives, penned these words in a letter to a friend, Jonathan Steele, to explain to one of his family what was going on at that time. These are his words. He said, before I sit down, Mr. President, and this is the words of Benjamin Franklin. He said, before I sit down, Mr. President, I will suggest another matter, and I am really surprised that it has not already been proposed by some other member of an earlier period of our deliberations. They were going through a controversy. They were arguing about certain fine details in, in drafting this document, and they had hit literally a wall and could not move beyond it. 
Benjamin Franklin, a man who was not a, an avowed Christian, but a deist. He believed in God, he just did not know beyond that what God was doing. But in a moment of inspiration, in a faith in God beyond anything he had ever echoed, he said this. He said, I will suggest, Mr. President, that the propriety of nominating and appointing before we separate, we choose a chaplain to this convention whose duty it shall be uniformly to assemble with us and to introduce the business of each day by and address our creator of this universe and the governor of all nations, beseeching him to preside in our council, enlighten our minds with a portion of heavenly wisdom, influence our hearts with the love of truth and justice, and crown our labors with complete and abundant success. That's pretty good for a man that believed only in God and hadn't moved beyond it. He understood where America was and he understood that we were at a place where it was not intellectual minds that would create and form this nation, but it was God himself that would inspire us as to what we let go of and what we hold on to. In times of consternation and lack of inspiration, those founders sought out the guidance of the Almighty. In these last decades of America, we have drifted far from our original moorings. Just as the nation of Israel did, prosperity is killing America. We have become independent because financially we feel like we have reached that precipice in life that we can hold forever, which simply is not true. The United States of America as a nation has never been farther away from God than we are right now. And I don't hesitate in saying that. We're in desperate need of revival in this nation. God's people need to come back to Him. We are the example. It's not the television evangelists, certainly not those who are writing books for profit about God. No, it's the individual Christian that is held responsible for propagating the gospel to those who are lost. And we have given up that. We've retired to the front of our widescreen TVs. We've reclined back in our, our lazy boy recliners. We've forgotten about those who are lost and dying. As much as I love being a preacher of the gospel, I want to tell you this. It is not my job to win everybody to Christ in Selma, Alabama. You are a part of that. The Great Commission was not given just to preachers, it was given to Christians. And we are responsible for what we do, and God is watching us. We've allowed pop culture and the postmodern, post-Christian thinkers to express to us their ideas and their images of truth and deity, and we've accepted it. We've stood by and allowed them to speak to such a point that our voices have been muted, and we have been silent. Charles Colson, a man who went through his own storms of life, but came back to Christ at his lowest ebb, penned a number of books. And one of my favorite is his book, The Body, speaking of the body of Christ. And he tells this story about how many people, and this book was written 20 years ago, about many people were turning to a different religion. And he called that religion, in all reality, the church of O, the church of Oprah Winfrey. And here's what he said in his book. 
He said, what Oprah Winfrey is preaching is not particularly new. It's just that the combination of her access and and immense influence, as well as particular appeal of her own interest in searching for meaning, makes it unique in this latter portion of the 21st century. The church of, of Oprah encourages people to ask all the right questions about life and meaning and service to others and identity. And then to look in precisely the wrong place for the answers. To look within. Unfortunately, the answers are not within. That's where the problem lies. We're all sinners. We're not saviors. We're sinners. The answer is outside ourselves. We don't need personal reflection. We need a savior. One can forgive us, and one who can save us from our sins. You see, that's the problem in culture today. We think that somehow we can, in in inspecting our heart and our soul, and within us finding something that's there that just needs to be blossomed forth, that we're to change. That doesn't happen, people. Scripture tells us that the heart is is desperately wicked. Who can know it? We can't even know our own heart. The reality is that it has to be found outside of us. And that's why it was important for a Savior to come to redeem us. That's why He had to live a perfect life and die a perfect death and claim that prize for us that we could never reach on our own. Answers to life are never found within That's clearly the wrong place to look. We need to understand that our heart is deceitful. And there's another we must trust. Today we look at the battle that we face every day. Every one of us will get up in the morning. And I remind you, as uh, one of my favorite writers once said, Mondays are a heck of a way to spend one-seventh of your life. And I agree. But on Mondays, we wake up and we look at the week and we think about the week and we struggle with what's ahead. But the reality is the first day of the week is today. And our forebears were wise enough to take the calendar and begin it not on Monday, but on Sunday. Because by doing so, we understand that our week must begin with God And we must live that week for God. And we must allow God to guide us through it. It's frightening to think about spending any time without God. And alas, we live in a world where people don't think about that. In fact, a a lot of the calendars just kind of, they consider Sunday the week end. No, the week ended midnight last night. The reality is today is the first day of the week. You know... We've got to understand that the battle we face has already been won. We must yield to the victor, the one that won it for us. The enemy's within. It's the flesh. This fact, more than anything else, causes many Christians great frustration. This is exactly why many people struggle with that over and over again because the struggle is a physical and emotional struggle, but really it's a spiritual struggle. Who do you allow to be the God and the guide of your life? I want to consider two truths very quickly today as we seek 
to understand repentance and what it does for us. And I want to think about how to restore our relationship with Christ. I'm not talking about lost folks. You know, my heart goes out to them. My compassion is for them. I want to reach them. But I'm speaking to the ones who have allowed this to fall apart. The same darkness is out there in the souls of lost people. It's always been there. No, the problem with our culture today is that those of us that bear light and are supposed to expose sins and change our own lives, we're not doing our job. We've fallen from it. So the first thing I want to consider is this statement. Even though we are Christians, there's a problem. There are two natures within the believer. Now, I'm speaking only of Christians here. If you're not a Christian, don't listen to what I'm saying because this has nothing to do with you. But Christians have a war within. Whether we'll follow the flesh or we'll yield to the Spirit. And that's a war that we deal with constantly. The Spirit and the flesh, our sinful nature, are always in conflict with one another. But we determine how the day begins and how we live our day. We determine how we handle our failures in life. The important thing, as Martin Luther put it one time, he said, if you fall down ten times, get up eleven. If you give up a dozen times, make sure there are thirteen times that you continue to move forward. Because we're going to fail in life. That's a part of the nature. That's a part of the problem within the flesh. We are going to make wrong choices. We're going to let our minds walk away from us into the wrong places. We're going to yield to the old ways that always lead in one direction. Destruction. We have to choose what we will do with that. Paul put it this way to the Christians in Rome who were probably the most legalistic people of their day. He said, for what I am doing, I do not understand, speaking of his sin in the flesh. He said, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing that very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. You see, that's the amazing thing about sin. We can put our lives in neutral and allow sin to drag us to all sorts of places. Paul uses a phrase here, and I've shared this with the folks on Wednesday nights, but I want to share it with you. Paul said this, he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? When we hear that, it's easy to speculate that he's just making an exclamation point with words by saying, oh, wretched man that I am, but he isn't. He has picked up a phrase that the citizens of Rome knew well. It was one of the most terrifying phrases they had ever heard. There was a law among the Romans that if a man were found deceased and there were two or more people that were involved with his death, and they could not determine who gave the, the lethal blow that killed them. Here's what the, the, the judges would do. 
They'd bring the two men before the bar. They'd kill one of them right in front of everybody, and they would chain that dead man's body to the living man. They'd take the living man with this new corpse attached to him outside the city and turn him outside the city. And the man dragging around that dead body was referred to as the wretched man. Most of them committed suicide. Many of them went crazy. And what Paul is using is an imagery that's so powerful because he said, I am like the wretched man. I'm dragging around this dead body, this sinful body, this broken body, this convicted body, when I sin and don't follow the Spirit of God. But listen to what he says after that. He said, who will set me free from the body of this death? And, and the 25th verse gives us everything to celebrate. He said, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, I'm set free. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, my flesh. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What he would have told the crowds there is, you don't need to be chained to your old sins. You need to be bound to Christ Jesus. He's the one you should take with you. He's the one that should abide with you at all times. So the qu question is quite simple. Which one do we gratify? The spirit or the sinful nature? Now, here's the sad truth. The answer is obvious, but it's not simple. It lies in the choices you make throughout your day and for the rest of your life. Let's examine the sinful nature for a moment and think about it. Galatians 5.19 says, Now the deeds of the flesh are these. And I read off that list. And we understand all of those. We understand the sins of the flesh and the choices that we make. We, we understand going in that direction. Now let me remind you of this. The sins that are mentioned here are sins that most of us have committed. As, as a friend of mine growing up said, he said, Oh, I've committed all those in one night within four hours. I wasn't in his fraternity. But it, it, the reality is we do that. We sin. It is not the fact that if you commit this sin, you destroy yourself. Not at all. Jesus died for the sins that we would commit. Every one of them. You're covered. In, when God looks at you, you're covered in the blood of Jesus. You're forgiven for those sins. The problem is, if you continue to yield to them, you tell the whole world that Jesus died for for nothing. And therein is the problem in America. Christians are not living out their faith. They're not following after the Spirit of God. Christians walk out of church and do the same thing that lost people do. We bicker and we fight and we gossip and we, we, we hate each other and we get angry. Some of the most painful hurts I've ever felt didn't come from lost folks. They came from churchgoers that would think that they are people of great integrity, but the life they live is outside what God has given to us in the way of freedom. That's why it's so important that we live a life that produces fruit. That fruit matters. It matters in so many ways. Now, I want you to understand this. The character traits we're given at the end of this passage are called the fruit of the Spirit. 
Why didn't they use another food group? Think about that. I love food. I know you do too. They could have said the meat of the Spirit or the bread of the Spirit, you know, or the dairy of the Spirit. You may not like dairy, but I do. There are four reasons why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. And I want you to think about this. Because fruit is healthy, sweet, living, and whole or complete. Fruit is healthy to eat. Everyone agrees with that. If you love eating fruit, you're a healthy person. You understand the influence that it has on your life. It has vitamins and fibers, no fat or cholesterol. It's good for you. Every diet must have that. Fruit is sweet, as the Christian life should be sweet. People may not like your Christ, but they'll love the sweetness in you. And in time, as they learn to care about you and you build a relationship to them, guess what? They'll accept your Jesus. Don't go out and, and coldly preach at people. That's not how you win people to Christ. Love them. Let them know who you are. Let them know that, that, that you make mistakes and you sin, and then you repent and you come back to God. Let them know that, that you're not judgmental, but you're loving and kind. Fruit is also living. That makes a huge difference. We're to be alive, not dead and boring, not stale. We're to live before others and let them know there's a God who loves them. And then lastly, fruit is whole. Fruit supplies something that changes your life. I grew up in a family that grew crops, and we had fruit orchards. On our little farm, we had pecan orchards, we grew pears, several varieties of apples, and my personal favorite, figs. Love figs. My first home that I owned in the country had a 150-year-old fig bush. It was a variety that, that the uh, uh, county agent said, I can't even identify. I've never seen it before. It produced green figs that were about the, uh, uh, somewhere between the size of a golf ball and a baseball. They were wonderful. It would, every other year, produce twice a year. Never seen anything like that. I invited my, my, my church uh, from up in North Georgia, First Baptist of Oakwood, down one time. The senior adults came to our house. It was a, an antebellum home built in 1831. And they ended up congregating around this huge fig bush. And I'm not kidding. You, you, you don't understand until you see about 125 senior adults pulling figs off and just eating them. They were going over that bush. And I'll never forget my daughter, Lauren, who was just a little one, was standing out there watching them. And, and one of the ladies said, Lauren, don't you want some figs? She said, no, ma'am. And said, you don't like figs? And she said, well, they're okay. And uh, she said, well, then why aren't you eating them? She said, because the septic tank is right under there. <laughs> You've never seen so many people drop half a fig on the ground. I'll never forget that. But the reality is fruit provides something we need it keeps us alive. And you need the fruit of the Spirit within you. Without it, you're, you only have a half-life. You live for the flesh on earth and you go to heaven. Two things happen. Number one, you have nothing to place before Christ. And you're eventually going to stand before Him in the great white throne judgment. And you're going to find out so great a grace that you've wasted. 
Please make sure. Don't worry about Satan. Satan is out there. He can only be in one place at one time. But your flesh goes with you constantly. Conquer the flesh and yield to the Spirit. And you know what we'll have? We'll have revival in America. It'll begin as a great awakening in the church and it will spread to revival to all those who are lost. That's how it'll begin. It won't begin in Washington. It won't begin in Wall Street. It won't begin in especially in California, it begins in the hearts of believers that yield to him. And I challenge you today to make that decision. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much that your spirit guides us and we trust you. And you give to us the words of hope that we need. For we live in a broken world and we understand there's only one thing that can fix what is broken and that's the blood of your son. And Father, I pray that we would exhibit the reality of what Jesus has done for us in a realistic way, in a loving way, in a compassionate way to those in this world, and that we would understand that it is our obligation to do so. For forgiveness was free to us, and therefore we must offer it freely to others. Now, Father, speak to someone this morning within the sound of my voice that's looking for hope and help in their life. They're struggling. They've tried to do it on their own, and they're hopeless without you. Lord, speak to them now, even now, and may they make a decision that will change their life and the lives of those who encounter them forever. And we trust you for this. For we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen. During this time of decision, we're going to prayerfully sing hymn number 544, 544, is have thine own way, Lord. Will you stand with me as we sing? Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the master. I am the While I am waiting, you did Thank you so much for being here today. And I want to re- uh, mention to you, if you don't already know, Carol Mott was supposed to uh, have a solo in our special today, but her mom, Catherine Cates, went home to be with the Lord last night. So remember Carol and her family as, as they... Um, gather together to love one another through this very evident absence in their family. She would greatly appreciate your prayers. I thank you for your faithfulness. And, and remember, today's the 4th of July. Remind someone, tell them the story of how freedom came about. Don't let this just be another opportunity uh, to get out and do whatever you want. Because remember, you're on duty right now as a Christian. Thank you for all that you've done. My friend Chris Kilcrease, thank you for being here. He came all the way from, is it Elba? Okay, uh, to, to sing today, so I appreciate that so much. And God bless you as you leave this place today. Take the name of Jesus with you and bless someone because of it. Let us pray. Father, go with us now and keep us. Guard over us and protect us. And may we be found faithful in all that we do. Thank you so much for the way you constructed our country and the freedoms we enjoy. 
And may we continue to have the freedom to share our faith with those around about us. And may we continue to fight the good fight of faith. For we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.